Your service matters. Whether you're in the military or you're a journalist or you're a teacher or a fireman, first responder, it matters when you serve. It's about a purpose-driven life. If people wanted to ask me how my, my child wants to be a catcher, what do I tell them? I say, catch every ball. And in life, isn't that the way it is? We all show some form of valor. Common people doing uncommon things. Loyalty, duty, honor, respect, selfless service, integrity, personal courage. They laid down everything to go to war for us so we can be free to sit here and talk this podcast. Why? Why did you do it? What impelled you to put aside the instinct for self-preservation and risk your lives? It was faith and belief. It was loyalty and love, clear convictions and beliefs. It's important in a democracy for us to know that freedom isn't free. The Bob Feller Act of Valor Foundation is exactly the right name for that foundation to inform the American public about the ideals and the virtues and the heroism of people like Bob Feller. Bob Feller, he said, my one piece of advice is read our Constitution and run your lives according to the Constitution. We swear an oath to a document that stands for freedom, makes this experiment that we call the United States of America. We are not perfect, but we hold the moral high ground. We are trying to, in the words of our founding document, in order to form a more perfect union. There are going to be some tough calls to make the world safer, better, to represent those values. We can continue to make this world a much, much better place. Today, we're really excited to have a Cleveland Indians legend join the American Valor podcast, uh, Mr. Kenny Lofton, known as a gold glover center fielder and premier base stealer. Um, Kenny, thank you for joining us today on the American Valor podcast. No problem. Thanks for having me. So a lot of our fans who are baseball fans and Cleveland Indian fans are going to know who you are, um, but some of our other fans might not. Could you give us a little bit about your experience in the MLB? Well, again, I played 17 years in Major League, so um, six-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glove, um, four-time Gold Glove, five-time Stolen Base Champ. So, I mean, I played with Cleveland most of my time, and I played with 11 different teams, and um, what else, uh, 11 postseasons in my 17-year career, so it was fun. Yeah, and through those years, you mentioned you were a, a five-time Stolen Base leader. Uh, when you retired, I believe you were 15th all-time on stolen bases. Uh, Colin and I both grew up playing baseball, um, but for those of us who might not play baseball or are a little younger, could you tell us what makes a person a, a good base stealer and if those things necessarily translate to being a good base runner um, or if someone could be a good base runner without being a good base stealer? Um, you have to be a good base runner to be a good base stealer, but again, they kind of go hand in hand, but a base runner a good base runner know how to get to base to base, take the extra base, know how to score in a base, you know, in a base hit. That's the difference between the two. But if you got both, you'd be pretty good. But in a base dealer, have good instincts of know when to grow, when he shouldn't go, what's the percentages of you where you feel you have a good success rate. Um, and you got to understand, be aggressive. And that's what a base dealer does. Again, a good base runner have good instincts, but know how to um, go from first to third or go from base to base. Those instincts you're talking about also sometimes leads to not necessarily the fastest person being, like you can have someone who's not the fastest guy out there, still be a great base runner. 
Yeah, that's the good thing about it is a good base runner don't have to be fast. He just have to have good smarts and understanding and knowing knowing the the position, knowing the play, knowing the situation. Hey, I might not be a, a good base dealer, but back in our day, I, I might be able to take you on the first two steps, gang. I, I got I got instincts on the bases, but after that, you'll 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 blow me out. You smoking? No, I got you. On, <laughs> no, I got you on the first two steps. That was my that was my best asset. Is my uh, my first two steps. So once I get my first two steps, you're done. I think uh, another valuable asset that you had was you always said uh, know thy role. Um, you knew that your job was to get on base, you know, steal bases too. Um, but then you had guys like Jim Tomey and Manny Ramirez behind you to, to hit home runs. Looking at the game nowadays, you know, we had Johnny Bench on and we talked to him a little bit about this. But there are guys who uh, everyone's trying to hit for power, hit for home runs. Um, guys are shifting and people aren't hitting the other way. People don't bunt as often. There really aren't as many prolific base stealers or defensive um, specialists. Maybe, you know, D Gordon or... Uh, Brett Gardner come to mind for some that are. But what are your thoughts on how the game has potentially changed since you stopped playing? Um, to be honest, the, the game has changed. I mean, for me, it's not in a good in a good place right now. Um, you're not a lot of not a run score, a lot of run score. It's mostly the runs are being scored on on um, home runs. They're not manufacturing runs like they did when I was playing. They need to get back to manufacturing runs because that's what's going to keep consistently putting runs on the board, when you're not hitting that home run, when you get a tough pitcher on the mound, you're going to need some guy that's going to try to get on base and manufacture runs because all great pitchers are not going to give up a lot of runs. So you need to make sure you got that that guy who wants to get on base, who wants to take pitches, who wants to find a way to get on base, and they don't have that in this game today. People want the launch angle to try to hit the home runs because they're going in to the game where the agents tell them you hit home runs, you make a lot of money. And that's where the game is right now. So going back to your college days, um, not only were you a great college baseball player, but you also were one of two players to play in the Final Four for basketball and an MLB World Series. Did you were you always just like football, baseball, track, everything, or how did that? Yeah, come I, I pretty much played baseball, basketball, I ran track, and I tried a year of uh, football. I'll say I tried a, a maybe a month and a half. And I got hit one time in football, and I was done. <laughs> I said, I'm done. I'm out of here. And it was pretty much baseball, basketball, and I split track when I was in high school and, and baseball. Uh, people might not know, but you played uh, at the University of Arizona, and you played with Steve Kerr. Um, Steve Kerr, uh, NBA champion, both playing and coaching. Uh, he spent a little bit of time in Cleveland overlapping. I think he got there in the – the early or 90 or you were there in the early earlier 90s when he was kind of there, was, there too. was he okay that was going to be my question yeah. whether that overlapped and you were close because I know he was in Chicago for the the Jordan era uh, yeah. are you still close with him yeah we talked pretty much quite often um I was in there in Cleveland earlier he was with the Cavs early on and um he um he was there I had Sean Elliott I had Jug Bushler I had Sean Rooks I had Bison Daley I played with all those guys. Um, they were Tom Tobert. I played with all those guys, and they were all uh, good. Had great, great success in the in the NBA. Yeah, I know Sean Elliott. I think he was a, an All American while you were there. Um, and one thing mm -hmm. when I was looking at that college career, because that kind of the basketball career kind of intrigued me, because it's unique. I'd say um, you got the opportunity to play against Don Haskins um, in 1988 against the Texas Miners. 
Fortunately, you guys lost that game in the first round. Um, but Don Haskins is most known for um, starting the first all-black starting lineup in an NCAA championship game and ended up winning that game uh, in the movie Glory Road for anyone who wants to go check mm-hmm. it out. Do you had, did you have any interaction with him or do you have any stories about him? No, actually, I don't, to be honest. Okay, it was, it was worth a shot. Um, we can, we can go along that same line though, uh, given the nature of our foundation using Bob Feller's story in his name with your time with the Cleveland Indians, do you have any stories about, uh, Bob Feller, any time you spent with him? Oh yeah. We saw always a lot of funny, funny stories with Bob. Um, he was basically always talking about the younger kids and how they were always being babied as pitchers, how much he had to pitch so many innings, nine, 10 innings, and then two later. Two days later, he had to pitch eight or nine innings again. He put a little ice on his arm, and he was back out there again. And he always talking about how the younger generations always baby in their arms and how he was out there playing every day. And when he was – it's funny, when we were playing, he and um, Omar used to always play catch before the games, right before we go out and play. He's always get on the field and play catch with Omar when I played. So it was awesome. And he always told told some stories, and it was just fun to sit there and listen. How he said, you know, yeah, when I was playing, you know, we had that going on, and we pitched nine innings, and two days later, I pitched nine innings again. Guys, <laughs> right here, they pitched nine innings, and they wait five, six days later to pitch again. That's like that's bushly. That's not what we did when I was when I was there. That was Bob. <laughs> yeah, we remember uh, we were at our foundation ceremony two years ago, I guess it was, and. Uh, I think it was Bob's grandson came up and told him how uh, Bob Feller used to go interrupt CC during his second lunch and give him give him grief for going out there and taking five days rest. That was Bob for you, but he was off. You played with a lot of Cleveland Indian greats like Sandy Alomar Jr. Um, he spent some time coaching the Indians this year in Terry Francona's absences. One of the most notable was uh, in the wild card series against the Yankees, and he pinched hit Jordan Luplo, um, which no one understood why. And Jordan Luplo ended up hitting the, the game-tying RBI double in the seventh. What kind of a baseball mind was Sandy Alomar, and what kind of experiences did you have around him? Uh, good, good thing about Sandy, he knew the game, he understood the game, and I'm just very shocked right now that he's not, he doesn't have a, a managing job right now. I just feel like something's wrong with the game for Sandy to be in the game that long. And they always talk about catchers have great minds to be managers, but he's a catcher, great mind, all-star, you know, played on some great teams in Cleveland, and he don't have a managerial, you know, managerial job right now. It just boggles me and beyond me why Sandy Alomar is not a manager to this day. It's it's pretty much one of those things that I just say baseball is not right because Sandy don't have a job, and he has an opportunity. There are a lot of catchers who had an opportunity. When you can look them up, catchers that had an opportunity to become managers, and Sandy has the opportunity, and he doesn't. It's It's kind of bad for the game right now. He's not a manager. So you mentioned that you played for 11 major league teams. Um, what city was your favorite to play for? Probably uh, Cleveland was my first. Um, Chicago, I grew up in that area and being a Cubs fan. So that was my, you know, second. But um, just, you know, being able to, to be in my hometown area and grew up a Cubs fan, I felt awesome. And then the World Series was 2016 was one of my favorite series to watch because i had my heart in both places it was pretty cool yeah i i didn't have my heart in both places uh the indians kind of <laughs> ripped that out but yeah so uh, another thing you played in in a lot of different postseasons going back to, to college i guess how did that compare to 
playing in a, in a college March Madness tournament in the Final Four compared to playing in a playoffs uh, in the Major League Baseball? Again, again, it's kind of the same, but I think that college Final Four, it was, it was nothing you can compare it to. It's kind of just four teams, and you've got four states and areas where everybody's going off for these weekends. You got that weekend and everybody's going crazy with the World Series. You have day by day, you have seven possible seven games, but in the, in the, um, the College World Series, you have that one weekend and everybody's going crazy. And that's an experience you just can't, you just can't, can't overlook that experience. So I saw that you, along with a couple other um, prominent major leaguers like Kenny Law or Ken Griffey Jr. and Latroy Hawkins, um, have started the Still Got Game Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, again, the Still Got Game Foundation started where we all got together and we said, hey, it was an opportunity for us, even though we're not in the game, but we feel like we're not in the game, but we still got some game that be off the field, not on the field with our game. And we just felt the opportunity to give back, and we just felt the opportunity to give back in the, in the community who need help. And we knew as we were playing, the opportunity we tried to put things together to help the 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 the, the, um, the inner city kids that need the opportunity to try to try to keep keep them going because again they didn't have that opportunity in the inner city to have the funds and the resources so we just felt like let's try to figure out something to help the inner city to have some type of resources and we just felt still got game was a perfect opportunity and we all put it together that's awesome in addition to that you you started a uh, film company um, you've done a couple of movies. What is that like going from one professional entertainer, almost an entertainer in baseball, especially with some of the, the highlight plays that you've had? How, how is it going from the sports world and you're an entertainer in that fashion and now going to work with movie production? Well, it's, it's a little tough. You got to understand you need the money, you need the resources in the, uh, the movie industry. I felt like in baseball, once you put up the numbers, you pretty much move from step to step with, you know, with the team. And things worked out, but in this movie business, it's it's a cutthroat. You got to figure out. You got to know the right people. You got to have the money, and you can have the talent and put everything up the way you're supposed to, and still don't get things done. And that's you know get things pushed forward. And that's the tough part about the business of learning. I was always growing up. If you go out and put the numbers and do what you're supposed to do, you keep moving to the next level. But in this game, you can't move to the next level that easy. If I'm not mistaken, you were on you were on an episode of George Lopez. What was that like to be uh, on that on that TV set? No, it was pretty fun. George is awesome. He kept it he kept it funny. He kept the understanding. Like he knew I wasn't an actor, but he tried to make things um, kind of smooth for me when I was you know trying to be an actor. He said, "Take your time, you know, relax. Just understand. I will make it fun. I will just kind of lead you into." to certain things and you just flow, let it flow. And once I was there, it was, it was pretty fun. Do you guys have any uh, new, new movies or any new projects you're coming out with? I know you released a uh, chokehold in, in 2019, I believe it was, but you got anything new in the works now? Nothing in the works right now. We are doing a lot of different editing on different projects right now. So we are just trying to get the name out and get the people to understand that we are a, a, a post-production slash production company and we can pretty much do it all. But in this game, it's all about having the funds, to get these productions put out there. So whenever, whenever we get some, uh, some funds to kind of work with, we, we can do a lot of great things. Well, we're not, we're not much uh, actors, podcasters specifically, but you know, if you needed any uh, backup roles, we're working with uh, 
Mitch Harris, I offered to, he's, he played baseball at the Naval Academy and uh, was in the Navy and ended up making it to the MLB and pitch for the Cardinals. Uh, he said he's working on, on a book and potentially a movie. So I offered to, to play the role of some kid he strikes out. So, you know, if you ever need a, a background person, we're, we're here for you. All right, I'll look for a guy that can easily strike out. I'll find that guy. So. <laughs> that's, that's not hard, so that's perfect. Cool. <laughs> Glad I could fill that role. Um, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big Indians fan, like I said, so I've heard uh, a couple of funny stories that I wanted to ask you about. Could you explain your interactions with uh, Frank Thomas when you would get on first? Because you kind of knew he, he didn't like throwing. Could you explain those interactions you'd have with him? I mean, it was just a couple of interactions. He knew once I got on first base, it was a uh, – Either I was going to go in the first pitch or second pitch, but he kind of got upset at times when I didn't go right away and they happened to throw because I knew if they threw over, I was just going to go run and steal the base. <laughs> so every time I got there, he was always kind of get off the base and say, go, steal, go, because he didn't want the pitcher to throw over. <laughs> so, and, you know, he acted like he didn't, uh, he was trying to push me out. But he said, why don't you lead off and just go? You know, because again, if they threw, if they threw the ball over to him, it was a wrap. So I was waiting to take a real, real big lead, knowing that if they throw over, I was going to run and he wasn't going to throw it. But it was just fun. First move on a lefty must have been a good time with him on first base. Oh, it was easy. It was easy. <laughs> um, and then another story. Um, Albert Bell and, the, and Mr. Freeze and the battles over the thermostat. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, one more story and I got to go. But, you know, Albert was the guy who loved the cold in the clubhouse and everyone else liked, liked it warm. And, and Albert used to always go up in the, in the middle of the, in the inning and write down. He was very methodical how he did things on pitchers. He had his cue cards. He used to put stuff down every time he faced a hitter. And he used to go up and down the clubhouse. So every time he used to go in the clubhouse and write his cue card, if it was warm in there, he turned the thermostat up. And the clubhouse kids said, hey, can he get? I would want to turn the thermostat because they were scared to touch it. So I went up there and I turned it back, back up to nice and 75 where it's warm. He went down there and turned it again. And he struck out or did something, he got pissed off and he went back to the club. I, I turned it back up to 75 and it was hot and he got pissed and took a bat and broke the thermostat. So for three days straight, we didn't have no, uh, we didn't have no heat. It was funny. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, we appreciate your time. We know you got to go. So we appreciate you joining us and, and look forward to all the great things you do in the movie world and everything you're doing uh, off the, off the set and off the field. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for having me, man. Peace out. Thanks again to listening to the American Valor podcast, and we hope to have you back next time. Please like, review, and subscribe to the American Valor podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to having you back.